This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new, used, or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. Brenner. McQueen, Colburn, Vaughn, Brunson, Buchholz, Dexter, The Magnificent Seven. We wish you to help us. There's this man, Calvera. A thief. A murderer. He and his men, they steal our food. Then they leave us to starve. And he will do so until he is stopped. Even five wouldn't give us too much trouble. There won't be any trouble. Ride on. Ride on? I'm going into the hills for the winter. Where am I going to get the food for my men? Buy it or grow it. Or maybe even work for it. Somehow I don't think you solved my problem. We deal and live, friend. Solving your problems isn't that a lot. Anything wrong? Turn that trigger around and get it down the hill. Steve McQueen. Window. Curtain moved. I'm not in a good position. Let him stick his neck out. James Cobert. Robert Vaughn, Charles Bronson, Horst Buckholz, Brad Dexter, seven magnificent men in one magnificent motion picture. The Magnificent Seven. Eli Wallach as Calvera, the bandit. Guns, ammunition. You know how much money that cost? He had a town at his mercy. And the Magnificent Seven at his throat. Seven who fought like 700. Magnificent Seven. legendary engine builder, car owner. I love listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, live in downtown Clearwater. Bill, are you there? Is this thing on? Hello? What you talking about, brother? I'm on your show tonight, brother. You've been talking about having me on, and I'm on here tonight. If you want to talk talk to me, call up. Well, actually, in anticipation that Hulk Hogan is uh, supposed to come on the show for next week. Next week, brother? Next week. Yeah, you know why? Because next week in downtown, downtown Clearwater, actually, Clearwater Beach, Hulk Hogan, who now has opened up his own little store called the Hogan's Beach Shop, 
Cup is having his grand opening next week. So for all you Hulk Hogan fans and WrestleMania guys like you, Bill, be sure to tape it. Yeah, uh, go down there and uh, check out Hulk Hogan's new Hogan's Beach Shop and get all the latest and greatest in the Hulkster. And check out all his uh, Wrestling Mania souvenirs, his T-shirts, his hats, uh, and uh, you know CDs and all kinds of cool stuff down there. So that's next weekend on Clearwater Beach. I think that's the weekend of the 27th okay, on Clearwater Beach. There's going to be like a grand opening for the uh, the Hulkster. Anyway, let's see what else we got going on. Okay, well, while we're on the subject of talking about what's going on, let's have everybody run to the computers real quick. Real quick. I always say that real quick. And Google Tantalk1340.com. You can pick us up on a computer. And that's if you're out of range here and you're outside of the uh, Tampa Bay area, which we are live and we're broadcasted. So if you're driving in your classic Mustang or Porsche, oh, it sounds like we got a short again, right, Bill? We got another one of those things? Another malfunction? But there's no lightning out tonight, so we should be fine. But anyway, so if you're driving in your classic car and you're relegated to an AM radio, turn your dial to 1340 and you'll hear me. So that way you know for a fact this is the real deal. Anyway, and... Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Uh-oh, sounds like a good static. Oh, look, we're bleeding through with another radio station. <laughs> you said tune in. Tune in, yeah. Anyway, so they're tuning, right? Okay, go to our our uh, our uh, da, 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 our website, Golfstream Motorsports, and check out all the stuff we got. We've got a calendar on there of uh, all the upcoming events that, uh, that we very often uh, participate in. And uh, most notably this weekend, we have Mirror Lake Classic, okay? That is probably the one of the nicest car shows. Uh, in the, I guess we would call us the, we're the South Central or we're Central Florida kind of, not really, we're South of Orlando, so we're South Central on the West Coast. So Orlando, uh, excuse me, on Lakeland this weekend is the Mirror Lake Classic, okay? It's an amazing car show. There's first class Pebble Beach, Amelia Island quality cars are going to be there. Let me guess. What? It's amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely. You're right. And uh, they will also have an auction there. And then also, not only that, they've got some other stuff going on. They've got entertainment and stuff like that. But they also have a car show downtown. So it's downtown Lakeland, okay? And it's right there on the little lake. And that lake is called Mirror Lake. So right around that lake is where they're going to have the concourse. And there's, there will be just about anything and everything you can imagine. There will be a lot of classic cars. There will be a lot of pre-war cars. There's going to be domestics. There will be foreign cars. So it's, it should be a lot of fun. And, of course, the auction, which is put on by Higginbottom, which I believe starts Saturday around 10 o'clock, and it goes till about 5 o'clock. And they're going to probably have somewhere around 80, 90 cars or something like that, adventure to say. And yours truly will be there, okay, because I will be writing the auction analysis reports for Sports Car Market. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. Billetproof Drag Racing. Okay, Billetproof is going to be back in town. So Sunday at Lakeland Raceway, we're going to have the Billetproof Drag, which is a classic vintage stuff. So it's kind of like run what you brung. I mean, you got your old classic Ford, you got your classic Mustang, you got your, well, actually, it's older than that. So if you got your 32 Ford, or you got your 36 Chevrolet, or your 40 Ford, you want to be out there, or your old school hot rod, or your mid 50s Chevrolet, or mid 50s Ford, that's where you want to be this weekend. So they're going to have uh, the vintage drags, they're going to have swap meets. And, of course, you know, you got motorcycles out there, so they got all kinds of stuff. So it's an all-day event, and I think it's only like $15 to get in, and they'll have all kinds of cool stuff there for you to get, you know, hats, shirts, decals, and, of course, a few hot dogs and hamburgers. Okay. Oh, yeah, also this weekend, this weekend, uh, for all you music lovers, okay, right here in downtown Clearwater, we have the Clearwater Jazz Festival. Now, interestingly enough, this thing started, I think, in 1979, because in 1979, I was actually involved in the inaugural, if you want to use the term, jazz festival. We were actually the guys that were helped... Put the, put the show together, got some of the uh, artists involved, uh, some of the the uh, bands that were there. And I, me, and a friend of mine, we were actually the guys that did the uh, T-shirt sales here. So we were involved with those. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to some of the people today, Michelle. So if you want to find out more about the Clearwater Jazz Festival, give her a call at 461-5200. That's 461-5200. That's downtown Clearwater. But we actually have some of the leftover, very first original Clearwater Jazz Festival T-shirts. So we... We may even put those on display. At any rate, also, if you're up in Atlanta this weekend, we have, for all you race car fans, uh, the Petit Le Mans is taking place, okay? So that's up in Road Atlanta this weekend. That's going to be a fun event. And then, of course, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming on, but next week I'll tell you about all the stuff that's coming up, usually within the next couple of weeks. But don't forget, put uh, Festivals of Speed on your calendar. That's the uh, last day of November, December 1st and December 2nd, okay? It runs concurrent with the PRI show that's also taking place in Orlando. So while you're in Orlando, you can do two things. You can check out the Festivals of Speed, and if you're in the car business, you can uh, wander on over to the uh, Orlando Convention Center and check out the PRI event, okay, which is performance racing. Oh, yeah, in two weeks. Actually, next weekend, next week, next weekend, yeah, two weeks, actually, is uh, SEMA in uh, Las Vegas. So for all you car guys you can make it out to Vegas, check out SEMA because that is the show of shows if you're into the uh, aftermarket automotive sports, uh, aftermarket motor 
aftermarket, yeah, I'll get this straight, you know, the aftermarket uh, parts industry. Just the coolest stuff in the world, you know. So anyway, we got a song we can cue up there real quick. There we go. on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. General Motors, and I like listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars at Semper Fi. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Grabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Grabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Grabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065.
Bruce Cohn, and I'm the manager of the Doobie Brothers. And when I'm in town, I listen to nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, we're we are back. Man, I'm just having a hard time with tonight. Anyway, okay, a couple more things real quick. A minute ago, we talked about uh, the website. Check out our website, and also go to our stuff page. And if you go to our stuff page, you can pick up a T-shirt and you can order a decal. Okay, go to Facebook, like us on Facebook, and if you missed any of our shows, check out our podcast. Okay, you can find that also on our website. All right, let's run this commercial real quick, and then let's get our guests on the line because I got a very fascinating individual coming on this afternoon, and uh, I'm looking forward to it because we're going to cover some vintage racing stuff we're going to cover our friends over at uh, vinnie's motorsport and we're going to talk a little bit about the semen racetrack and the upcoming event this weekend if you like golf enjoy affordable golf at magnolia valley golf club located on massachusetts avenue in newport ritchie play for as little as 15 dollars after 2 p.m the club has two beautiful courses to choose from an 18 hole championship par 72 plus another nine-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Enjoyment's enjoyment, Sandy. Don't worry about it. All right, all right. Tommy. Tommy, for God's sakes, come on. We're late as it is. All right, Sandy. Is that one of those red Italian things? One of those red Italian things. Racing's important to men who do it well. Racing it... It's life. Anything that happens before or after. Just waiting. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. <laughs> okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Uh, this gentleman's been around for quite a while. He's very well known in the area, and he's very well known in the uh, collector car world, okay? He is one of the founders of SVRA, or the founder of SVRA, which is Sports Vintage Racing Association. He also started a publication many, many years ago, which is still on the magazine shelves all over the country, all over the world, actually. It's just a very, very, very good magazine. It's called Vintage Motorsport Magazine, and it's actually based out of Lakeland as well. This gentleman has also been involved in the insurance business for a number of years and his classic cars. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, Ford Heacock. Ford, are you there? I'm here, Robert. How are you tonight? Thank Pretty- you for the introduction. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to uh, hang out with us for an hour or so, or half an hour on the show. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into the collector car world. Now, I was reading somewhere that you're, you come from uh, kind of a family that was involved with Sebring for quite some time. Well, that's really where it started for me. I, I was uh, our family came to Sebring, Florida, from Sebring, Ohio, after the turn of the century, and uh, so my grandfather and my dad were really in, deeply involved in Sebring during the early years of the twelve-hour sports car race there. And when I was growing up, it was a big part of my life. 
I was a pit rat hanging out in the garages watching the Ferraris and the Jaguars and the Fords and Porsches and all the guys go at it every year, and that, it was it was the center of my world for a long time. Now, was this during the 60s, I presume, or late 50s? When was this? Well, yeah, I was, uh, it was really throughout the 60s, okay. uh, I think, when it had the greatest impression on me. Um, you know, I was a teenager in the late 60s and having, uh, you know, just passionate about car racing at that time. Growing up, I wanted to be, you know, a famous race car driver someday when I grew up. And uh, when I came back to Sebring from college, I was uh, given an opportunity to help the promoter, uh, Charles Mendez from Tampa and Dave Cowart from Tampa were the promoters of the 12 Hours of Sebring, and they asked me to uh, help them organize and create a race for the vintage cars that preceded the 12 Hours of Sebring. And in the late 70s, for about four years, we ran it as the Kendall Vintage Grand Prix. And in 1980, I saw an opportunity to start a club, and we created the Sports Car Vintage Racing Association, which actually in the beginning we called it the Southeast Vintage Racing Association. And our first event was at Road Atlanta in uh, actually 1981. And that it was amazing because that was a uh, kind of a sport in the infancy that, that took off really quick. And uh, within a few years, we had eight vintage race events that we were organizing up and down the East Coast from Watts, uh, Watkins Glen in New York, Mid-Ohio, Road Atlanta, uh, even in the Bahamas by the late 80s. We were hosting the Grand Bahama Vintage Grand Prix. Oh, interesting. Now, was that Grand, on, on which island was that? That wasn't at Nassau, was it, or was it on Grand Bahama Island? That was on Grand Bahama Island, okay. Freeport. And, uh, boy, that was a challenge. We uh, uh, had to erect a course on the streets in downtown Freeport. We had to ship uh, all of our equipment over. We, we hired, we leased the cargo deck of the Sea Escape cruise ship. And we took race cars and tractor trailers and wreckers and ambulances and fire trucks. We had to take everything we needed uh, over to the island, and we we really recreated uh, an event similar to the old Nassau Speed Weeks that took place back in the 60s, and and we were over there for about 10 days with a party every night, racing during the day, and had just the time of our lives. It, it, It was a wild wild time now growing up in the 60s and hanging out at sebring i've got to think that you have met some of the world's greatest race car drivers who are some of the people that you kind of looked up to and aspired to when uh you know through the 60s that you i mean that made an impression uh, on you yeah i think you know a lot of your household names were were regular heroes for me uh carol shelby and van gurney and phil hill the american racers uh a lot of the european drivers were in town i remember uh, Juan Fangio would come to Sebring and was marveling at the fact that he could walk down Main Street without being mobbed. You know, he, he, anywhere else in the world, he would race, particularly in Europe. Uh, he was such a national or, or international figure that it was hard for him to uh, uh, to go anywhere, you know, without being recognized and being swarmed. But in Sebring, because of a little cow town out in the middle of the sticks of Central Florida, there weren't many people that knew who Juan Fangio was. Sterling Moss, of course, is a great hero of mine and has become a good friend uh, in recent years. And, and uh, yeah, I remember the first time I had a chance to to race a vintage car. It happened to be an event that Sterling was in, in, in entry. And, and I can, uh, I think one of my greatest memories of racing vintage cars at Sebring was being passed by Sir Sterling Moss in the hairpin at Sebring. Um, you know, just being passed by the master was... Uh, uh, a great feeling. Now, when you started SVRA in 1980, did you actually participate in the race yourself, and what kind of car did you drive if you did? I did. I I, I didn't participate in all of the events, but I had an Austin Healy 104, okay. and uh, I raced that car for oh, about 10 years, and it was just a nice, uh, manageable uh, car. It wasn't overpowered. It had a four-cylinder engine. You probably only had a top speed of about 110 miles an hour, but it was smooth and predictable, and uh, it was lightweight and nimble. Uh, it was a great 
car, particularly for tracks where you could re- really get a good rhythm, like Road Atlanta or Mid Ohio. Um, now, the first race you said was at Road Atlanta. It was the first official race for under the SBRA name was at Road Atlanta. Okay, and uh, in 1981, and and we raced that year as a, as a support event to the Can Am, and. Uh, we had a small field of cars, but it quickly grew. In the in the three or four years following, every year our our field uh, of cars grew enormously. And, and by the late '80s, we typically were seeing uh, you know 300 or more cars on a vintage race weekend. Now, back then with SVRA, what were the parameters that qualified a car to race an SVRA? Well, we were really looking for cars that had previous. Uh, uh, sports car racing history, uh, principally in the, uh, we were looking for cars that had international race history at Sebring or Daytona or Europe, uh, Watkins Glen, um, or significant cars that might have raced in SCCA. Um, we were not looking for cars that were recreations. You know, we were really looking for the real deal. And, uh, Particularly throughout the 80s, the, when I go back and I look at the entry list of the race cars that participated in those events, they were, you know, incredible. I mean, they're, they're cars that today are, are selling at, you know, 10 plus million dollars at these major auctions that you've been reporting. Uh, you know, four GT40s, Porsche 917s, Ferrari 512s, and, you know, all the, all the iterations of the Porsche prototypes and, and Cobras and, Grand Sport Corvettes, we just had a little bit of everything. And we had a, a great sprinkling, too, of, of, of racing drivers that were coming back to participate at the vintage racing level. Sterling Moss, and Bob Bondurant, uh, Jim Hall with the Chaparral brought it back to Sebring, I think, in 85 to celebrate his the 20th anniversary of his victory at Sebring. Um, so it was it was a great time. I, I tell you what, I'll never regret uh the years that I spent involved in vintage racing has been great memories. Made a lot of great friendships that are still, um, you know, important to me today. So the cars basically were prior to 1972, correct? With race history, so it was pretty much authentic cars, and they had to race in pretty much the period configuration, with the except uh, with the exception of modern day safety updates. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. Uh, we we really cut it off at 72 because after 72, there were some changes in the uh, uh, FAA recognition of, of international sports car racing in, in the state. Sebring, in particular, was no longer included in the FIA World Championship. Uh, IMSA became more of a domestic race series. A number of... Uh, of issues were emerging nationally. Uh, we had a energy crisis that canceled the 12 hours of Sebring in 1974. Uh, manufacturers were beginning to turn away from building performance-based cars. You know, so there was a political. Uh, it was let me say it was not politically correct in the early 70s. Uh, after about 72, to really be pursuing, uh, you know, big muscle cars and high performance and gas guzzlers and things of that type. So the cars that we focused on were built 72 and earlier. Okay. Now, they, I've heard the term SVRA medallion car. What is a SVRA medallion car? Well, after I, I owned SVRA uh, through 1989, at which time I sold the business. And at some point later, they created a certification okay. uh, for cars that... that uh, were certified by SVRA for their history mm-hmm. and their preparation. Um, I was not a part of that, and uh, but however, I really think that's uh, an important part of building uh, credibility and stability in the in the vintage racing hobby. Um, you know, we've I've been a, a supporter of the Vintage Motorsport Council of clubs, which are all of the vintage race clubs around the country that participate in the Vintage Motorsport Council uh, work together to uh, share their rules, to share their knowledge base about the cars, uh, to make sure that you know cars that are uh, being presented as historically uh, significant are indeed uh, certified. 
at the time when you created SVRA, was there were there any other vintage racing associations in the eastern seaboard? Now, I know there had been some out west, but what about on the eastern part of the United States? Well, in the northeast, uh, principally uh, operating from the Lime Rock track was the Vintage Sports Car Club of America. Mm-hmm. And and they're the oldest and the the really the, the the club that started vintage sports car racing in this country, um, but they had very stringent criteria. They would not acknowledge any car newer than 1959. Okay, and they and they were not uh, flexible about that. And so, really, SVRA came into existence to re- to help create a venue for cars built from 1960 to 1972. And that uh, that filling that void is what really led to the success of SVRA because we were providing tracks and venues for the guys that own those cars to bring them out. And uh, had, had the Vintage Sports Car Club of America, VFCCA, simply moved their eligibility to 72, I think SVRA would have had a hard time getting any traction. Vintage Motorsport Magazine. Tell us about Vintage Motorsport Magazine and how it came into inception. Well, with the club, uh, you know, SVRA by the by the early '80s, uh, by the mid '80s, was uh, a small club, maybe 1,500 to 2,000 members, uh, and we needed a newsletter. And so the newsletter uh, was created on uh, our dining room table as a you know a little small half size magazine, black and white, you know published on a photocopier and uh, or a near photocopier and we titled it vintage motorsport we we put a couple out and the, the response was like wow it's pretty good stuff you know you need to do some more of it and so i started to ramp it up i added some color a couple of years later then i went to a full-size publication and uh uh, my good friend Larry Dobbs, who was a, mag- was a magazine publisher here in Lakeland, uh, publishing Mustang Monthly Magazine, Corvette Fever, and some other publications. Um, you know, I aspired, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And Larry gave me some good advice and, and led me, introduced me to uh, newsstand companies. And so I kind of put it all in and... and Started growing the magazine, putting it on the newsstand, and the, what was a, a really interesting uh, trip was a, I had an opportunity to be in New York, and I stopped in a little newsstand in Manhattan, and walked in, and there on the newsstand was our magazine, and it was just an amazing moment to see something that you created, uh, you know, being sold in the big city, <laughs> and I just stood back and and took it in, and, and I didn't even buy it. I just looked at it on the shelf, and I thought, oh, me dang, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that was amazing. I'm sure that was uh, just, yeah, like you said, that's just one of those moments where you had to, you know, stop and think about it, because it just hit you, kind of like, wow, this is, yeah, it like, did. It's yeah, like it your did. baby. It was just kind of an epiphany, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did this. Wow. Another, uh, another sidebar was I got a call in 1984 uh, from Time Magazine, and they said, hey, we, we've heard that your magazine is using this new technology called desktop publishing. Well, sure enough, I had bought a few months earlier uh, an Apple Macintosh computer with uh, a page maker program and a laser printer, and I was doing all of our composition and layout using the Macintosh. And prior to that time, there was no desktop publishing. And Time was doing a story about the coming revolution in publishing. There was desktop publishing, and they used us as an example in their article. And, you know, with photographs of the magazines and a few quotes from me, and I thought, well, we really made the big time here. <laughs> Amazing. Let me ask you a question. Let's talk a little bit about car insurance now. Now, you come from the, I guess your family was in the insurance business beforehand, and then somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s is when you kind of uh, included classic car insurance to your uh, regular line of um, products that you have through the insurance company. Well, is that- yeah, I like to tell people I have relative ability. My grandfather and his dad started our insurance agency 90 years ago in Sebring. And uh, so I grew up in a family business that was insurance. 
And uh, being somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, I saw an opportunity for us to expand into collector car insurance. And we began doing that in the early 90s, around 92. And uh, that's turned out to be a real good decision. Uh, collector car insurance for for us is marketed under the name Haycock Classic. And, uh, you know, we feel like we can be as competitive as any of the players in that space, whether it's Haggerty or Grundy or Condon Skelly. Uh, we've got great products and prices, and we've grown this program to over 30,000 customers nationally, and it's become a kind of the fun part of our business. While we're on the subject of insurance, um, tell us a little bit about the ins and outs, you know, because there's, uh, for example, let's say I have a classic car, and I, because I, I, I do appraisals and pre-purchase inspections and stuff from time to time, and the, and the question always comes up, uh, you know, well, my car's worth this much money, and I've got it insured for a stated amount. And there's stated value, there's agreed value, there's replacement value. So why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, for the listeners, if you have a classic car, what is really, truly, honestly, the best way to insure your car that you will, and in the event of a loss, and nobody wants a loss, obviously, but to recoup your money and to protect your asset? Well, the uh, the family auto policy that you might drive, you know, use on your daily driver insures a car for damage for actual cash value. So if the car is damaged uh, or destroyed, the insurance company agrees to pay you the current actual value of the car based on a blue book guide or some other market valuation. And it's uh, that's a number that you don't really know what the number is when you buy the insurance policy because it's going to be based on the value at the time you have the loss, not the time you buy the policy. Collector car insurance uh, policies, and this is standard uh, uh, with Haycock Classic as well as some of our competitors, we use an agreed value insurance agreement, which is similar to what you would use when you buy fine arts insurance or jewelry insurance. You're putting a value on the item at the time you insure it. And you agree, uh, the customer, uh, the policyholder, and the insurance company agree on that value. And the insurance agreement stipulates that in the event of a total loss, you'll be paid that amount of, of value uh, known as the agreed value. And so it takes, takes eliminates the doubt of what you're likely to receive at the time of, of a loss. And uh, you know, we feel like that because collector cars, uh, particularly high-value collector cars, are more similar uh, to fine arts and jewelry than they are to you know, daily driver vehicles or other types of property you might be insuring. Now, if you have the car insured for an agreed value as opposed to a stated value, is there going to be much of a difference in the premium? Well, let me stipulate or reference the stated value Okay. There there are insurance phrases, and you've got to be a little careful here. The phrase agreed value that I use is is the one that we feel is the, is the one that's going to give you that agreed value in advance. Stated value simply says, if you read the contract, says we'll pay the stated amount, which may be a, a specified dollar amount, or actual cash value, whichever is less. So while stated amount may sound nice rolling off the tongue, in effect, it's no better than an an actual cash value policy. So stated value doesn't necessarily mean, let's say, $30,000 versus if if I say it's insured at an agreed value of $30,000. That's correct. Okay. And so, like I say, the phrase stated value sounds nice. But when you read the policy wording, it generally says we'll pay the state of the value or the actual cash value, whichever is less. So you want to be careful not to buy stated value coverage. You want to be looking for agreed value coverage. Okay. Now, let's jump back to race cars. So I have a vintage race car, and how does that work if I run the car on the track? There's no insurance while I'm driving the car during the event? Is that the way that works? But but yet, if the car's sitting in the pit area, uh, then it's insured. Is that do I have that well, kind of correct? It depends on what you've bought. Uh, 
where we sit, Robert, is that we feel that insurance on a race car, while it's on the track, is kind of a oxymoron is not the right word I'm looking for, but uh, it, it just flies against reason to us to try to insure a car on a track, particularly having been a race promoter myself. If I've got two guys racing wheel to wheel and one's insured and one's not, the guy that's not insured is going to be a lot more careful than the guy who's insured who may feel like he has nothing to lose. So we, I have always been an advocate when I speak to vintage race organizers and club organizers, but I would discourage them from having their cars insured while they're on the track because I think it makes the racing more dangerous. Okay. That being said, there are companies from time to time that come into the market attempting to insure cars while they're on the track. When I say from time to time, I generally don't see those programs that are offered surviving for very long. And you can just kind of imagine why. It just takes one bad accident, and the car is going to wipe out a lot of insurance premium. Uh, So from a risk standpoint, I really don't support it. From a safety standpoint, I think it's unsafe for the other competitors to be racing against someone who has a car that's insured while it's on the track. Now, the policy we provide for racing cars insures the car while it's in storage or while it's in transit going to or from an event or while it's at an event but not on the track. So it can be in the paddock or it can be in the garage area, and it's insured so if there's a fire or vandalism or theft or storm damage or a building falls on it or a tree falls on it, all those types of, of uh, occurrences would be insured. But once you go onto the track, as far as we're concerned, at that point, you're on your own, and you're assuming your own risk. The cars, when people insure these kind of high-dollar collectible cars, deductibles, do they usually generally have fairly high deductibles on these cars or low deductibles, or how does that, how does that work, and what do you recommend? Well, a lot of people you know, tend to jump to the conclusion that uh, insurance on a, on a vintage race car or a collector car is akin to the insurance they're accustomed to buying on their family car. And so their first assumption is, well, it must be expensive because the value of the car is so much greater. Well, insurance of any kind is generally based on risk. And our experience has shown that collector cars and vintage race cars have very good experience uh, because the owners I have what have what I refer to as a passion factor. They care about the property. You know, if I'm a collector and I've got a, a vintage Porsche or an old Ferrari or I've got a race car that I race on weekends, that's where my passion lies. So I tend to take a lot of, a lot, you know, take care of that property. I make sure that, you know, when it's at, at home, it's locked away in the garage. When it's being transported, I'm generally making sure that it's being transported correctly. Um, I'm not leaving it in a parking lot at the weekend. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is our collector car clients have fewer losses than your typical family auto population. So as a result, the collector car insurance rates that we're able to charge is typically half or less than half what you would pay for comparably valued family auto. Okay. Now, on a collector car, let's say my classic 65 Mustang convertible or my 356 Porsche or my vintage Austin Healey, what are the parameters of collector car insurance in terms of how often can I use it, how do I have to store the car, you know, where can I drive it? Are there any limitations in, 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 in those regards? Well, the, the ideal customer for a collector car policy is someone who's collector car is an extra car that they don't use as their daily driver. So that's kind of number one criteria, that you've got daily transportation that you use to go to work, go grocery shopping, go to school, what have you. And the collector car is an extra car that generally is used for pleasure and and used somewhat sparingly because most, you know, reality is most older cars are not suitable for daily driving. You know, maybe their air conditioning system isn't what we're accustomed to today, or their gas mileage may not be what we're accustomed to today. A lot of times the ride is not as comfortable. Um, 
So typically, uh, the, the other thing we look at would be, what, is you, what do you expect your annual miles to be? And most of our policies are based on 6,000 miles per year or less of pleasure driving. And we have uh, rate tiers that the premium goes down further. If you, say, drive 3,000 miles a year or 1,000 miles a year, you can step down into a lower premium tier. Okay, so now the, did, that, did that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, 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 that makes perfectly good sense. And, of course, the cars have to be stored inside in the garage and so forth, too, and then it's not like the cars can be sitting outside. I mean, so you have to you have to show some responsibility and accountability when you have a collector car. And like you said, the passion factor. So, in other words, I take extra measures to make sure that my little darling classic is going to be, you know, have its own little, little cubby where it's going to be hiding. And then, of course, obviously, like you said, when I drive it, I'm going to be very cautious about it and take it out on limited runs and for for special occasion as in the case of this weekend we have the mirror lake classic so why don't we transition over to that let's talk about how that all came about perfect segue, segue. yeah <laughs> very good segue i seem i seem to have a thread going through, <laughs> through this but well these days uh, uh one of my passions is the lake mirror classic auto festival which is coming up this weekend in lakeland and uh it's a interesting car show it's uh it's kind of a mix between uh Amelia Island. Let me think what I might compare it to. What's the big uh, car show over in Tarpon Springs? Uh, but anyway, it's uh, we have a lake in downtown Lakeland called Lake Mirror. Mm-hmm. And around that lake, the city restored a promenade that was built originally in the 1920s. So it's an exquisite setting. And around the lake, we have about 100 Concord Elegance cars that are, you know, investment-grade, high-end, world-winning cars from all over, everything from Rolls-Royce, Mercedes-Benz, Duesenberg, Mercedes. Yeah, we've got a great collection of cars. And then complementing that in the downtown area, right up the street, we have about 400 show cars that are on display that are your all types of collector cars, from street rods and muscle cars, Corvettes, Mustangs. Uh, so it's uh, kind of a dual two shows in one, if you will, and it's a free event to the community, so there's no admission, and we would invite your guests to come on over, and uh, you'll see some fascinating cars. We have a collector car auction that happens on Saturday. Uh, Friday night we is our big hot rod night. Uh, we, all, we bring all the hot rods and put them around the lake, and at, when the band takes their 8 o'clock break, we fire up those hot rods, and we call that the hot rod rumble. It will feature a 1964 NHRA top fuel dragster on Friday night when we do the hot rod rumble, and it'll rattle mm-hmm. windows, I think, from here to Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of Don Garlitz's cars, or who's 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 well, featured? This car, this car is uh, owned by Jerry Baltus, and uh, uh, Jerry set a uh, NHRA top fuel record in the car in 1964. Oh, uh, speak, speaking of Garlitz, he was our guest of honor here in 1992, and he brought Swamp Rat One and Swamp Rat 33. Okay, who's the guest of honor uh, this year? Well, he's my. Uh, my good friend Brian Redman, who's a British sports car racing driver who won Sebring twice and won the 24 Hours of Daytona three times. He's raced all over the world. He was a factory racer in the late 60s for Porsche, driving the Porsche 917s, uh, raced in Europe. Then uh, they won the world championship for Porsche in 1969. Uh, he drove for Ferrari. He drove for Chaparral. Uh, uh, March Cooper, he's, he's driven for a number of uh, well-known sports car racing teams. Super. He's a great gentleman, good storyteller. I know. He's actually been on the show before, so he's a good guy. In fact, oh, it's, it, it's time to have him back. But the other thing I was going to ask, too, is now I was there. Well, I usually go every year or every other year, but uh, you also have, since it's on the lake, you have some vintage wooden boats that show up there. But the thing that I thought was really cool was all the vintage uh, Ampy cars that were running around in the lake. So that was a really a sight yeah. to behold as well. They are a lot of fun. This year, we do not have any amphicars coming, but we've got a, a larger field than normal of vintage uh, boats. So we've got, uh, I think, about a dozen wonderfully restored old Chris Craft wooden boats and similar models. We also have uh, collector motorcycles that will be in the show. We've got some early pre-1920 Harley-Davidsons that uh, just knock your socks off. 
Wow. Now, let's talk about some of your collector cars. You have a few. we got a few minutes left. I think we got a couple minutes left. So let's talk about a few of your cars because you're an okay. avid collector as well, right? Well, I'm in a smaller way. I'm, I'm not you – know, I don't have – I don't have the means to have a hundred cars, but I've got I've got a couple. And uh, growing up in Sebring, uh, particularly in the '60s, I was my, one of my all-time favorite cars was the Ford GT40. And uh, I've you know I would watch them assemble the cars before the race and tune them, and I'd just spend all my time around those cars when they were racing in Sebring. So in '05, uh, when Ford introduced the current uh, Ford GT as an iteration uh, or, or recreation, if you will, of the original Ford GT40. Um, for me, that was a dream opportunity. It was like, man, if there was ever a car I would need to own, it was the Ford GT, and I was ready to mortgage the farm to try to get my hands on one. And a good friend of mine who was a, a car dealer um, helped me locate Ford GT, and I was able to acquire it. it uh, that is my go-fast car. That that's the uh, that's the car I enjoy driving. Uh, you know, when I'm feeling like I need to let the hair <laughs> blow a little bit. A little high-velocity meditation, right? Yeah. Well, you know, being an insurance business, I better better uh, couch my words here. I don't want to be implicated. <laughs> okay. Well, no, you're trying you're trying to enjoy the hobby a little bit too. That's it. What what <laughs> color is your car? Pardon me? What color is your Ford GT? It's the uh, yellow with black stripes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only made 400 yellow cars, and it's fully optioned, so it's got all the available options with the, the stereo system, the painted uh, brake calipers, the special wheels. So it's uh, it's really a lovely car, And uh, but I don't drive it very much, Robert. I, I, you know, I, I think maybe when I saw you in California, we talked about it. I've got less than... Uh, 2,500 miles on it, and I've had it now for, you know, since 2005, so that's not much mileage. No, that's not. It definitely needs to go out and exercise a little bit. All right, what are you going to have here well, at Mirror Lake? I'm trying to qualify for those those low insurance rates. <laughs> is that what it is? Well, now, I, I when you were at Amelia Island earlier this year, I noticed you had a, uh, what was it, Jag 120? Yes. I've always been a British sports car guy at heart. You know, I, I raced Austin Healy's, and I've owned a number of Austin, big Austin Healy's over the year. And uh, I sold a Healy eight years ago, and, and right after I sold it, I had silver remorse. I'm like, gosh, darn it, I shouldn't have sold that car. And, and, uh, and you bought the Jag? Yeah, so I put the word out, thinking that, well, in a year or two, maybe I'll look see if I can locate a Jag. Well, the guy who does some work on my cars, darn if he didn't call me like, a week later, and said, "Guess what I found?" <laughs> and he had located it. A Jag 120. Well, we're just about out of time. But anyway, I want to thank my special guest this evening, which was Ford Heacock of Heacock Insurance. And I want everybody to be sure to go to Lakeland this week for the Mirror Lake Classic. Everybody else, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. We'll see you next week.